Hey, it's JD here, and I'm with Pete and Tim, and we have a really big announcement we want to make. Are you strapped in? Good. Mark your calendars for Friday, September 1st, as Long Slice Brewery brings to you Getting Hip to the Hip, an evening for the Downey Wayne Jack Fund. Join us at the Rec Room in Toronto for a night of music, unity, and making a meaningful impact. This event is dedicated to honoring the legacy of the Tragically Hip while supporting the Downey Wenjack Fund. Immerse yourself in a powerful tribute performance by 50 Mission, celebrating timeless classics that have shaped Canadian rock history. We'll also wrap up the podcast in a memorable way by doing our finale live that evening. But it doesn't stop there. This event is all about making a difference. So we've got a silent auction with prizes you've got to see. From Blue Jays tickets, to Tragically Hip Ephemera, to kitchen appliances. If you're looking for something cool, chances are you'll find it at our silent auction. All proceeds for the evening will go directly to the Downey Winjack Fund, supporting healing, reconciliation, and positive changes for Indigenous communities. Tickets are on sale June 1st and can be picked up by visiting gettinghiptothehip.com and clicking on Finale. By attending Getting Hip to the Hip, you're not only enjoying a night of incredible music and comedy, but also contributing to a brighter future. Join a community of like-minded individuals who believe in the power of music and unity. Tickets are only $40, so mark your calendars and visit our webpage to secure your spot at this unforgettable event to celebrate the hip with fellow hip fans. Getting Hip to the Hip, an evening for the Downey Winjack Fund, promises to be an experience that leaves a lasting impact. Please join us at the Rec Room in Toronto on September 1st and be part of something truly meaningful. We'd love to see you there. When I think back to the fall of 92, everything was coming up JD. I was dating a real-life girl who also liked the hip. I was elected class president with my friend Tim under the officially executed two is better than one campaign, and I got a new hip record. While I love student government, the main thing the election provided me was an office in the high school for the student council, which acted as my locker and my rehearsal space for jamming the new hip album with my buddies Kirby and Dean. There was rarely a day that passed that someone wouldn't stop by for a version of Pigeon Camera, Locked in the Trunk of a Car, or Courage. It was great fun and an experience I'll definitely never forget. Fully Completely is what I call the last record of the early era, where the hip sound is more or less matured and they are writing an embarrassing number of Stone Cold classics. The idea that the production keeps getting tighter and more precise sounding is worth noting as well. Working with the late Chris Tangeridis, the boys locked in on the task at hand, even if it wasn't their favorite recording experience, and they delivered MCA an album brimming with singles and sing-along courses. This was a band that knew its groove and walked with a comfortable stride inside of it. Simply put, Fully Completely is a rock and roll record at its finest, bar none. I'm actually feeling really excited for Pete and Tim on this one. Their first experience outside of this project would have likely involved listening to this record as some kind of jumping off point, but that's not how we chose to do this. This is one album an episode, one chance to make an impression. Will this record stand up to the scrutiny that our protagonists will most certainly have for anything this anticipated? Let's find out on this episode of Getting Hit to the Hip.
Long Slice Brewery presents Getting Hip to the Hip. Hey, it's JD here, and welcome to Getting Hip to the Hip, a weekly podcast about the tragically hip and getting to hear their music for the first time through the ears of my friends. Pete and Tim, who are here with me as always, Pete from uh, Malaga, making his way to us via L.A. this week, and of course, Tim from Portland, being from Portland, as it were. Uh, I'm excited, uh, frankly, from a logistics standpoint, that we only had to do deal with two time zones this week. That, that makes my job a lot easier, but uh, I'm curious, how are you fuckers doing? Doing great, doing good. It's it's um, well, it's you know December in Portland, and we have a, a freeze happening, so we're hunkered down. It's a good day to be podcasting. Sounds good. It's snowing there. I take it almost. Okay, almost. I'm dragging ass, man. I I woke up around quarter to four this morning. I've gotten about f- four hours of sleep in the last. I want to say 36 hours. Yeah. So, um, um, the jet lags hit me hard. Nine hour time difference sucks, but it is what it is for the hip. Anything holiday travel, man, it's everything <laughs> fully and completely for the hip. <laughs> well, that's what we're talking about. Today. We're talking about the October 6th, 1992 release. Produced by Chris Sangerius. It's a 46-minute long CD at this point. Cassettes were still around, but it was a CD. It included singles, six singles. And it was um, rated 4.5 out of 5 by All Music. So that's a, a great score. And there's some good background information there. But I'm curious if you want to just get right into it and tell me how you experienced the album. I like the evolution. This this really helped me with where the albums have gone thus far. Just having fully completely be be where it's at in our in our process. Definitely. I I I, I mean I agree with Tim. The evolution I love. I, I I clearly see this going somewhere. It's strange. I think I don't want to put the cart before the horse but um you do it don't you put that cart ahead of the horse no but i i feel like this record may be the dark horse if we're going to stick with the equestrian um uh analogies in that of the four records was the fourth one we've fourth one yeah um i feel like this is my least favorite although i do have some great notes on it but I, there's so many album songs, artists over the years I've disliked at first, and they end up being my favorites. You know, interesting. Oh yeah, I've, we've we've I've I've talked with you about a few things like that before, JD. But yeah, I feel like this might be the one. This might be the one. So we'll see. You know, conversely, for me, this one, like right out the gate, was the winner of what we've listened to <laughs> oh, that's so far. So crazy. And I, I went into the mindset of, okay, 1992, what, what was happening in my life when I got a new album? And it usually was going straight in the car, you know, straight from the record store in the car. 
So I just had this one mostly in the car all week. I listened to it at the gym a little bit, but it was mostly car time. Didn't take notes until recently on any of it and just kind of jammed out to it. There's, you know, as expected, there's definitely some I like more than others, but of course I, I was, I was digging it. This to me was the band really trying to go over the top in terms of landing mainstream appeal to me. That's what this record has always sure. been. This record is, this record is that sound that they've been working on the last two records that, that bar sound, you know, that, that really tight and uh, nifty blues bass guitar sound. And this is, is just a really well-produced version of that really slick. It's, it's a slick sounding album and they haven't sounded slick up until this point. So to me, I, I've always thought of it as a, um, a record that, uh, was, was trying to shoot for the shoot for the moon. So I'm real surprised to hear, you know, Pete's Pete's, uh, analysis off the bat did you listen to it in your car because i do know that you have a premium audio sound system i i've I've mentioned i've mentioned that and you've experienced it um i did listen to it in my car and there were there were tracks that really stood out um that i really did like i I don't want to say i didn't like this record but um there were tracks that really stood out and like i said i'm really glad i didn't listen to it on the plane because associating this record with you know, a 12 hour flight after you've been at the airport for seven hours because they delayed your flight would have just, you know, I probably just wouldn't have shown up today. <laughs> I would have just texted you guys and said, you're on your own, you know? So yeah, but it's, I mean, computer time and car time was what was what did it for me with this one. All right. Well, do we want to get into the songs? Let's do it. All right. The first song is called Courage for Hugh McLennan. I am. Okay, I'm bringing up notes. So obviously, I'm I'm doing research on Hugh McLennan and who he was uh, because I want to know what the history of that is. Um, uh, the chorus is just catchy as fuck. It is just it just it just I don't know. It feels like there's a change of tempo, but it's not. But the lyrics just make it so sweet. Um, uh, those squeaky backup vocals that you said were going to eventually make their way in there. It would be the staple of, I believe, the bass player? Right? Uh, the rhythm guitarist. Rhythm guitar player. Yeah. yeah. Paul Langlois. I, I, those are all over this record. Um, and then kind of looking at the lyrics, which I did a lot more lyrical um, analysis for this record than others. His Gord's definition of courage as opposed to McLennan's definition was something that I really haven't pieced together yet, but I, 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 I dug it. I, I, yeah, I'll talk about more because I think this record is, is thematic in that sense. Cause there's a lot of Canadian references, obviously. There so, are. Big oh, a ton, ton. What about you, Tim? Yeah, I was excited right out of the gate playing the song in the car. I, was, I thought, okay, song number one for this album. If you know, if I'm a fan starting at the beginning of this band or just really even coming into this album, this first song is a great first track of an album. Um, the tempo is good. You know, it's it's singable parts. You know, it's um, just a good, simple, rocking tune. And just as far as, uh, yeah, I had no idea who, who Hugh McLennan 
is or was, um, you know, the, looked him up and definitely feel like I need to read at least one of his books. So probably get a suggestion from you, Mr. JD, but, um, you know, is this song about consequences and facing the light or the dark, you know, it's just, um, it's a great, a great kickoff to the album. I loved it. This to me has one of Gord Downey's absolute best turns of turns of phrase or lyrical works of art you know it's a feat of strength almost what he does with the text of mclennan's work it shouldn't be as effective as it is but it is it works so well and all he does is read the lyric into the melody but the lyrics are there's no simple explanation for anything important any of us do and yeah the human tragedy consists in the necessity of living with the consequence under pressure under pressure but the way he phrases it and the way he the the music in the background is building up it's so powerful and so such a great bridge and then you're right it, it goes up up against that banger of a chorus um to to outro the song really fucking strong strong work this is a karaoke staple of mine as well so perfect yeah you mentioned the phrasing it's funny because i thought the same thing and i think i put and it's ironic i'm showing this people at home can't see it but this is just sitting on the thing and i'm thinking about it because of of amazing it's a copy of life magazine with sinatra on the front yeah sorry Sinatra. So I think people like Sinatra, I definitely think other musicians from the 90s, but this puts him, this record put uh, him lyrically in that category for great phrasing. Not many people, people can put lyrics to songs and it sounds cool and they can sing harmonies and melodies. But when you can phrase a song, like you just said, so well, it just makes the song so fucking cool. Brings out the lyrics and the melody so much better. Yeah, I agree. So next up, we go to a a real interesting song. This is something that Gord would carry with him, uh, especially in his later years. And that is like the crisis in, in Canada's north. Crisis with our indigenous people. And this song takes a a look at that. It's called Looking for a Place to Happen. I thought this one started off running, you know, felt really catchy um, without knowing what the lyrics were or or background or anything. It just starts off really well. But, you know, eventually I realized, okay, this this is something about taking away or taking what's not yours. You know, there's, I, I hear guilt and sorrow in here it's just full of emotion um so you know as i looked into it i realized what it was basically about and um it's it even i don't know it it got me when i got to the end of the song i heard gourd kind of singing through the outro like it doesn't it carries on and to me that resembled like something around the fact that the invasion just is continuing on, you know, the taking away is continuing on. The pain isn't going to end, you know, this, this, and I think he, he hearkens that so well in this song for what the content is. It just, um, it kind of, it kind of 
it kind of floored me. It would, it felt like a lot. And you know, there, there are songs I'm experiencing over the course of the, this catalog is, um, you know, some of them I feel like, Oh, this must be fun in a bar. You know, people buy, love this song. And some songs are like, fuck me. You know, this is heavy stuff that we all still need to deal with and think about and realize. And just such a, such an impactful band. Yeah. And as they got bigger, they, you know, they, they took that to heart, you know, that they had, that they carried some clout and, and they used that, uh, and, you know, to, to a really good degree. Well, even, even some of their, you know, some of the lyrics and some of the storytelling is just very North American based. It's, you know, often very much Canada for sure, specifically, but it did, it also, you know, at times made me again, think about what the fuck, why didn't they resonate more in the USA? Because it, it I identify with, a ton of it. There's so much there. I think that crosses over. Yeah. Borders. How did you feel about looking for a place to have a beat? It's funny uh, because the the what I said before about this record being thematic and and very um, uh, very Canada, kind of picking up where Tim left off. Uh, in my research of the first song and my research of who Hugh McLennan was, I remember his wife. Um, saying to him, because I think his first couple books were like flops, like you need to write about what you know, write about Canada. And that book, the third book or whatever book, the his book that he finally wrote about Canada and what he knew ended up being really, really successful. And I feel like the hip kind of played around with that this first, their first few times out, their first uh, two or three records. But um, this one is just all Canada. And, um, it's just, it's Canada threw up on this record and, uh, in a good way, uh, Jacques Cartier or yeah, is Jacques mentioned, Cartier. Jacques Cartier, uh, is mentioned in there. So yeah, I think it's, it's cool because for, and Tim, maybe you can speak to this because as Americans, we, we get a, we get, we have this polite maple syrup, uh, like I say, Labatt Blue version of who Canadians are and what Canada is. Free healthcare, marijuana, everything's great north of the border on the roof of the U.S. But I think only probably in the last six or seven years has it really entered the American consciousness of the plight of indigenous folks in in Canada, in, in, in the north. I, I don't think it's something that Tim, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just ignorant, but I feel like it's not something that's been talked about, at least in the mainstream for Americans until recently. I think you're right. I think you're right. We've we've definitely have talked about it more USA regionally specific. But but to know it was that this was being to, being this was in mainstream rock music in 1992, right? Is right. cool, right? You know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, we we weren't necessarily singing about that in nineteen. Yeah, no, certainly we weren't here either. Other than other than through this, yeah, and and a lot of people, you know, for everybody that does like dive deep into the lyrics and and uh, and wants to analyze, you know, what it all means, there is an equally large or maybe bigger cohort that is just wants to fucking dance to some music, you know, like they just want to rock out. Mm-hmm. 
And they get to do that with our next song at the 100th Meridian where the Great Plains begin. Ready, Mark? backups can we do karaoke with this one <laughs> this became a lot li- yeah, i would do karaoke to this this became a live staple for sure as well i'm sure yeah garbage bag garbage bag trees whispers of disease driving down corduroy road i had to look up corduroy road i was like what the hell is that so that was a really interesting find right there what, it, just, what is a corduroy it, it references you know laying down logs along waterways so you can keep on your journey you're basically walking down logged paths huh. so yeah that's that's what a corduroy road is pretty cool
cool. No idea. No idea. I, dude, this, this tune, um, I would probably say, I'd probably say this tune is my favorite on the record. I think the, the, like the, the borderline rap that, um, (laughs) that, that Gord Downey's doing in it, um, just fucking amazing. The, the, the guitar wah, um, Mm -hmm. is, is nasty. Um, I, it fits he, though, right? It fits. Oh, yeah, like, totally. More than more than past songs I've heard. No, absolutely. The, it, realizing the again, going back every song, I think there's a there's a reference, a historical reference, that the hundredth murdering was the the separation of the United States through between Spain and France, and later between the U.S. and Spain after the Louis. Excuse me. The Louisiana purchase from um, France and then from uh, and then with the United States and Mexico like that historical reference of it. But this song is just it's a fucking banger. It is a banger. Right. It's yeah. a banger. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's there's by the way, um, this song has that line. You mentioned it, Tim, garbage bag trees. I think that is in the song before looking for a place to happen. That same, there's another reference to garbage bag trees, and so JD or anybody, give me a line on that garbage bag trees. I wish I had one. To me, it just it just reminds me of one of those old derelict areas where you see like debris caught in the fences, you know, that's been blown around, wind strewn. I picture you know like a garbage bag tree to be a plastic bag that is fastened itself into the tree and uh it just looks you know more depressing by seeing it but i don't know that's that's just my thinking if you've got an angle on this send me an email jd at getting hip to the hip.com but to be to put that in two songs in a row on a record gotta be something yeah agreed how about you tim what did you think of this one oh i guess you already you you spoke first didn't you yeah i mean i dug it i i thought uh Overall, I, f- I felt the anger in here. There's so much self-expression, which, you know, they're definitely feeling so many songs. Um, I, I love the ref- or the, the reference or the declaration of have Ry Cooter sing at my funeral. You know, that's in, in just going back and listening to some Ry Cooter songs. I mean, there's a lot of influence there for the band, and it's I dug it. It's a, it's a great song. Great tune. Now, did you recognize that lyric from anything? No. So the live version of Highway Girl, he he says that at one point. He says, get Mr. Ah. Rakuter to sing my eulogy, all right? Fun. And then, cool. boom, it shows up in this song, like, two okay. years later. Like, it was, just an, it was just a throwaway phrase in a, in a story in the middle of a song, and then it becomes, you know, this end of this epic rant. Uh, ap- end of this epic rap, rather, that he sort of does this this rap piece. Yeah, I think it's fucking cool. They started using this song to jam out songs in the middle of as well, and then it would it would always lead up to that that part mm. that that bridge part. Now, all three of these songs that we've talked about so far are singles. Courage was the third single. At the Hundredth Meridian was the fourth single, and Looking for a Place to Happen was the fifth single. Wow! So they're 
the record's got legs. I mean, they really tried to leg this one out and, and see if anything would stick. The next song is our first album cut of the of the fully fully completely record and it's an interesting one as well title wise what the hell is the pigeon camera pete (laughs) (laughs) so it's um i had to look this one up too um i guess back in the day 1909 there was a, a scientist or an inventor who who thought that strapping cameras with time delays on them to pigeons would be a great idea. And so they kind, it kind of took off for a little bit. I, I would love to see actual photographs. I, I, that's something I, I didn't. That the didn't birds go, took or of the birds? That, that the birds took. There's a lot of pictures of the birds with the camera strapped to them, but oh. that the birds took, um, they were going to do it for, you know, military purposes for reconnaissance, but then planes, came and they started being able to mount cameras on planes. So it kind of, right. you know, went by the wayside, but um, yeah, this song, I liked it. Um, it didn't do a ton for me, um, but the guitar solo was very redeeming. It, it, I, this is going to sound really strange because it's, well, obviously so many years left, got a very sublime feel, the band wow. sublime from that guitar solo, the tone the, the guitar that was being played or the notes that were being played, it just sounded like it was a, it was a, it was a solo taken from the band Sublime, <laughs> but it, I liked it. It worked. It was really cool. What you got? Yeah. Oof. Oof. I, I did not go to Sublime and that, <laughs> that band just, just makes me, it, it makes me cringe. I just, hear it and it's change the station as fast as possible because i only ever hear it when i'm in southern california driving around listening to the radio <laughs> some stations are playing that band like i swear every 17 minutes oh yeah from, oh terrible anyway it's against, it's against the law to play that in, uh, at a bar in long beach yeah but, <laughs> it's against the law it should be it should be yeah they should sell the anyways uh pigeon camera i you know it's i think it's a good slot for slowdown it's there's this kind of calm serene guitar riffing in there um it's i guess there's a lot of references when you look up actual pigeon cameras and kind of dive deeper into that as you touched on pete i did find you know as you said pictures of pigeons with the cameras strapped on them and kind of thought about what 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 is that and you know carry the carrying of information the passing of secrets you know the the i don't know it just seemed like a wartime era thing i wasn't really sure why this song was in there conceptually lyrically everything you know there was it was a head scratcher but the coolest thing about it was finding out about fucking Pigeon cameras, yeah. you know, totally. <laughs> simply oh. put, like, I'm glad the song's there because dude, you got to look up pictures that they took. There's a few online and they're fucking incredible. Like there's portions of wings surrounding a landscape, you know, it's, That's like, cool. it, it kind of worked, but who the hell knows? Like when you got, when you develop this film and you're printing these old black and whites and seeing all this abstract shit. Like, you know, it's it's so bizarre and weird. Uh, let's write a song about this very fascinating thing, guys. Like, 
did you know that they use pigeons to carry and take cameras or take pictures? Like, what the fuck? Why not write a song about it? <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah, fun song. We go to another album track, and this is one called Lion Eyes. So this one in the car was fun and so sing-along. You know, it's like simple, easy to get along with. It's a rock song. It's a good jam. Like, I imagine people just belting this out at live shows. Maybe even almost annoyingly, if you ever go to shows and you hear people singing like a little too much. Yeah. I'm sure bands love it when it happens and they can, but yeah, I, I this, this is, this could be one of those songs. Um, the, the parts about when he sings, um, uh, tableau variant, you know, these, these film references are, are really kind of, uh, that, that was all this added kind of mysteriousness to me. The cold wind blowing over your private parts. I'm like, uh, is that, you know, I I was really trying to, driving around, listen to this over and over, because it's so listenable. Um, trying to decipher, you know, heads or tails of it and couldn't couldn't get much. But overall, it's an easy song to consume. So yeah. storytelling-wise, I wasn't so sure. But overall, it was like, man, this is a jammy, easy one for sure. It's funny you say that, Tim, because it's, for me, storytelling-wise, I found it way more interesting. I, I mean, I like the tune. Um, uh, I like the turnaround after the chorus. Um, the bridge is wildly out of place. Like I just, it just, it, it shut my brain off for this song. I was like, oh, cool. I'm into this bridge comes. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Is this like the same band I'm listening to? Um, but, uh, the, the, the references to Tableau Vivant, which I had to look up, uh, it was like a nativity scene. You would. More or less, I would assume. And then the other one, uh, Romana Clef, Clef. Um, all these French references in there seemed really cool. Like, this is, again, because I think musically I liked the other ones. They stuck to me much quicker. I did a lot more digging in the lyrics for this one, and I really liked, I really liked all the lyrical references. I'll, I'll reveal more as the songs go on. It's yeah, it's pretty loaded. It's pretty yeah. loaded. Yeah. Okay, so we go next to a pretty menacing song, and uh, especially menacing when you consider this one was a single, and it's fucking tremendous. I don't know how that in my belly from the 16th century conquistador I think they don't know how they found armor in my belly passion out of machine ribbon tension Morning broke out the backside of the truck 
I this one I um, again I he's just going down the rabbit hole of his history here um, lyrically uh, I'm just looking at my notes guitar tone absolutely one hundred thousand percent filthy I love it um, the reference to ten dollars in to top off just to top off the tank it's funny because it's so quaint I, right it's quaint when you think about how much gas is nowadays <laughs> um the guitar solo is so good um there's a sec the lyric yeah yeah i found a place the second pass of that gordy goes high in his vocals and the harmony comes in with um, the rhythm guitar player. I just love it. And then the second solo is just like towards the end is just or at the end is just so awesome. And I I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a Tim from Portland right now. The fucking fade kills me. Like it's <laughs> so fucking cool, man. The guitar solo is so awesome. I'm just like just fucking end it, guys. Just yes. end it. And they fade it, and I'm just like you motherfuckers I'm just just look at this like i never noticed it before you said it to him and then i start listening to songs like these where i'm just eating up the the guitar solo at the end like it's fucking mac and cheese and they just they just take the plate away from me dude it's like it's like eating a mac and cheese there's still like there's there's some on the plate and then the waiter just comes by and fucking takes it and says sorry here's the check yeah, I hate I, I hate to say it, but the, these fade outs make me pissed on a couple of levels. I mean, the song "Courage" very first time I heard it in the car, it fades out. It's an okay fade out though. But as I heard it fading out in the car, I cranked the volume all the way. So oh no! Get the last because I wanted to finish the song, you know. And and the other part of it that pisses me off, it makes me frustrated is never having heard them play live. I mean, they didn't fade out songs live. So no, it's like, sure it's didn't. like, I wish I could hear the song live and hear how they end it or see what happens. So that's, you know, that's a, don't want to spend so much time on that, but yeah, I, I feel that this song is, it's so heavy. It's pretty gnarly. It's, um, the lyrics are, crazy you know the storytelling is very just sinister dark um dumping the body be better for us if you don't understand um and then you know after diving into this one further i read about the the story about caroline case which jd i'm sure you know this toronto mother of three who's um car was found overturned and wrecked and the bodies didn't show up and um there's just this whole this whole story that ties in with the the song that's just amazing that it's just such a dark song it's it's cool i mean i i appreciate the level of storytelling and kind of malice and all of those things with this yeah it's it's really fascinating that they can um, go to these dark places. You know, the last couple yeah. of records have been have been chock full. This one so far is a is a more lively, less dour sort of record. 
but we get our first taste of it here. And yeah, maybe it is better for us if we don't understand. Yeah, agreed. It's just dark on many levels, you know. But when I, again, when I read the, the story about Caroline Case and that whole tragedy and mystery, it's like, fuck, what an amazing bits of information to call together to create a song about. Pretty cool. They've all gone and will go too. I thought maybe this was about like the the difficulties of being on the road and traveling and playing gigs, setting up, tearing down. You got this massive country to drive across zigzag. You know, it's kind of a to me it was kind of a filler filler song with a long ending. You know, it has like a thirty second ending, which is a little unusual. So I I, I I I didn't listen to this one a whole 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 lot a lot of extra times. How about you, Pete? I'm gonna second that emotion, Smokey, and I say the opening guitar lyric was interesting, although very um, 80s 90s. You know, uh, they they somebody in that band loves John Cola from Huey Lewis and the News um, because that guitar tone is just. It keeps showing up. It just keeps showing up. Um, I think, I don't know that uh, Alanis ever listened to much Huey. Maybe she was a hip fan, but I, I a lot of her music too that I've listened to that those, what are they? It's like a univibe or something that he's using <clears throat> on the guitar just keeps showing up. And um, it just sounds a little dated because I feel like Back when people were using those effects, they didn't have anything cool to play on the guitar. They just had a cool effect. So, like, playing anything was like, hey, be impressed because I've got this amazing effect. I'm not playing shit on the guitar, but it's a cool effect, right? Right, guys? <laughs> you know? So, but yeah, the, the song all in all doesn't do a ton for me. So, what about you, JD? I don't know. Well, I think it's fascinating that this is the first mention of production really that has been brought up. I mean, you've mentioned guitar tone a couple of times, but yeah, it's a slick, it's a slickly produced record. This guy who produced it produces a lot of uh, like metal. And if you know about the production of metal, oftentimes it's got a real clean, um, well, real clean and focused kind of sound, uh, very precise, and uh, I think we get a bit of that on this. I'd almost love to hear what this record would have sounded like with Don Smith producing it, who produced the last two, but we get a taste of that when we go into the next record and they start to self-produce and they start to, it's almost like this record, they go as far as they've ever went production-wise. And then they go completely the opposite direction, you know, for for the next swath of records and go sort of back to basics. Feels formulaic. <clears throat> and that like like I heard on the first couple couple records, like I felt them like really trying to go into the space of of being obscure and trying their own shit. And then maybe the record label was like, all right guys, enough of your crap. We're gonna get a fucking Big time producer in there, and he's gonna, he, you guys are gonna be stars, you know? Like, I don't know what the fuck they were 
think I, I feel like this is kind of that, although it's a, it's a good record, but yeah, I, I hear you, JD. You know, for many fans, this is their favorite record. So it's, um, it's, it's tough. It's tough to be objective about it. It's not my favorite record. I've got another one. That's my favorite. And we'll get into that soon. But, um, I, I hear that. I, I, I could, you know, it resembles, uh, following an athlete who goes amateur to pro. I yeah. guess this, this felt like this album, you know, I don't want to get into it as if we're ending, but I agree with that, JD. Well, the next, next track we get is the titular fully completely uh, as a title track. Accidentally listened to this song first instead of oh, okay. the first track, you know, searched the album and this thing came up and I was getting ready to drive to sit in wet and then realized it was the title track. And I was not, I wasn't a hundred percent sold. I wasn't, I kind of questioned certain things about it as a title track or I heard like Eddie Vedder and Pearl Jam in there, you know, there's just, it's this kind of never ending guitar riffing. Um, if you listen to it really closely, there's a right channel tambourine happening. That is a total afterthought production thing. It's like, Hey, let's just add in some tambourine. Like it's there if you really listen closely and it's, it's that made me like the song more cause it added this kind of fun element to it. Um, but I, I thought it was uh, not the strongest for a title track. I oh, thought it okay. was just okay. This is our first title track we've ever got as well. Right. Right. Yeah. Can I ask you, JD, was this a single? This was, this is the last single on the record. Okay. Cause I, I, I have the same, Tim, you mentioned something about the tambourine. I think that's so funny because I, I, I felt the same way, but of course about the tambourine, but also the, the, a lot of the guitar licks. I feel like if the song was just raw, maybe, maybe, maybe Gord Downey stepped on the gas a little bit harder with the, with the vocals, it would have been a totally different sounding song, but I think it was recorded. And then afterward, Producer's like, hey, you, you, guitar guy, come in here. <laughs> Throw some more licks down here. Well, what do you want me to play? Just do something. <laughs> yeah, you know? it's like, hey, who's your friend over there in the corner? Can you play yeah. tambourine? Come on over. Yeah, come over here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like, I, I, yeah, I feel the same way. I couldn't like super get into it, but I thought the guitar solo at the end was a huge, was really like the slide and all, again, all the licks in the beginning. Like, I didn't dig that, but the, the solo at the end was, really big payoff and i could see how this song at a show jd maybe i'm wrong but i could see them taking this at a show and just fucking doing a 15 minute version of it that's what i was gonna say i was gonna say this song was one that wasn't my favorite for a long time and then it grew on me and now i would say it's like a top three on this record for me live it just slayed yeah yeah just slayed again where I had the same sentiment, Pete, where I just wished I could have heard this type of song live version. Cause you hear certain things when it's recorded and you, you wonder like, why was it produced this way? Or why was this thrown in or why this or why that? And you know that there is a more raw version of this out there. And it's like, you got to get through the, the, the meal that's prepared for the pictured menu item when you walk in the restaurant and you think, okay, that's that's supposedly what I'm going to get. 
And then the live version is like, nah, here's your fucking mess of a meal. It's going to taste the same yeah. way, but this is actually what it looks like. You know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I thought about this song. Tim, I couldn't, I would not to take it a step further, but I'm going to take it a step further. It's like getting through a shitty Thanksgiving dinner because you want to go out drinking later. <laughs> and then, um, and then after you've been out drinking till like three or four in the morning, then you hit up Taco Bell or whatever it is. And that's where the, that's where the real joy of eating comes in. And that late night meal is the fucking live version. It's hundred percent. We're, we're right eye on this one. All right. Next up, we go to 50 Mission Cap. i 
mean, if there's a song that comes out of Canada, let's let's talk about hockey and World War Two. You know, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's perfect. I mean, it's it seems very appropriate for the band, where they're from, for the fan base. It's like an anthem fucking song. It's pretty awesome. It's totally relatable. For me, as someone who knows people who've gone to war, you know, for many decades, and it's just, man, it's it's very relational. It's um, the tone here feels like kind of on the good side rather than defeated, even though the the subject matter is like scoring and war. I don't know, man. This the song, it's. Oh, there's so it's, many. It's kind so of great. Layers. Yeah, it's great for the position of the album, the 50 Mission Cap title. Like reading that initially and wondering about the song, and then hearing it and diving in a little bit. It's like, yeah, this is this is a tragically hip track right here for sure. You're definitely right. It's a live anthem for sure, um, as far as it goes. But it's layered in the sense that like. It truly does. The lyrics of the verse truly do come from the back of a hockey card. Like he basically just put a melody to this hockey card sentence or paragraph rather. And boom, there's the verse. You know, it's it's crazy. Like I've seen the card before. And then you get this brilliant anthemic chorus, 50 mission cap. But even it, is a little deeper than just a brainless chorus because it's a 50 mission cap. And then the next lyric is I worked it in. I worked it in to look like that. So is the protagonist here, somebody that really truly is wearing their 50 mission cap, like with pride, or are they trying to sneak by, you know, to make somebody think that they've been in their 50 missions? I don't like, I don't know. Like I, but I fucking love thinking about it. How about you, Pete? Okay. So the, the lyrics certainly seemed like he was reading from something. Uh, and clearly, yeah, that's that's what it was. And, and I don't know if, if that's a – if when he when he said – J.D., you mentioned, like, I made you think that or something. What was that you said a second ago about the lyrics? Like, Oh, I'm, I worked it in to look like that? I worked it in to look like that. Like, maybe he's referencing people who, you know, unfortunately, there are those people who – who would wear a 50 mission cap and never, you know, completed a mission in their entire lives, you know, right. those, those fakes. Um, but th- the song wise is just, it's an amazing song. Um, looking at who, uh, Bill Barilko was. Yeah. And ironically, he, what his body wasn't found until the years the Leafs won the cup next. Um, they found his body and then the Leafs won. It's almost yeah, yeah. like he was cursed. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. Sorry. That's what I meant to say. And sorry. It, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's so cool. And I, I took a deep dive into this, you know, you mentioned all the other stuff already about the amazing chorus. I love the, 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 the squeaky back of vocals made an appearance again. The, the guitar lyric or the guitar, um, after the chorus does this thing where it goes up and down by half steps. And it's just so, it doesn't sound like it fits the song, but it fits the song perfectly. And Tim said, this is clearly a hip song because it is. 
Um, and it, again, might be my favorite on the record, but, uh, but other stuff that it's a, it's a staple at the home games when the leaves are warming up. Um, and also what else did they say about it? Oh, that in the, like the private lounge, I'm not a big hockey fan because I grew up in Southern California. Um, you are Tim. No, yeah, it just, it just hard. But, um, even though we had Wayne Gretzky, but, um, that there's a, there's a handwritten lyrics signed by Gord Downey in the players lounge. Uh, it, uh, where, where the players hang out and that Bill Barocco anyway. And, uh, when the, when the hip would play the Canada airlines arena or whatever, they would leave up, um, Bill Barocco's Jersey, his number. Yeah. They've retired. When they played. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that was the only one they left up, like kind of when they, you know, changed the arena for the, uh, the hip show. From what I read, oh, I don't know, wow. but it was really cool just for that particular reference. It's what a song, fucking awesome oh. song. Loved it, loved it. It made me, it made me think about also, you know, kind of tying in with sports and war, like seeing your favorite team do so well, and also knowing that they have fallen or have you know, seeing them fall. Um, there's just, there's a tone here that's like defeated, but also like quit while you're ahead. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's kind of a bit of a surrender thing. It's, it's a great tune. I I enjoyed it. Well, it's followed on the record by yet another tragically hip ballad, slow song that, uh, you probably don't want to slow dance to once you find out what it's about. And that's Wheat Kings. You want to take it, Tim? I mean, I'm. I'm... It's, it, it's a hell of a mood song, right? I think there's some banjo in there. Is that what I hear? Some banjo, dobro, just dobro some dobro plucking. Oi. I maybe gave it three listens, and as not being a diehard hip fan i you know it's it's one of those placements in the album where i get it and get why it's there but also just i move on it's um you know there's a couple there's some good lines in there can't be fond of living in the past you're not gonna last it's like someone getting caught or being in the middle or guilty or jail time or yeah, it didn't didn't move me. Oh, Tim. Oh, Tim. <laughs> it's probably I, Pete's favorite. I couldn't disagree with you more. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's my favorite. I will say this song and this band continues to amaze me with its ability to just be super heavy and then go into these little acoustic tunes that they throw out. I, I call this, you know, this is like when they're in the studio, they're like, okay, this is going to be the acoustic song. But it reminded me of how great I felt when I listened to Fiddler's Green on Road Apples. Mm-hmm. I, I thought of the same. I thought of the same. Yep. Had that vibe. Um, yep. The intro with the sound effects and the animals and the birds. Um, super bluegrass vibe. There's a line in there that I love is so good. I can't remember the first part, but the second part is hung with pictures of our parents, prime ministers 
It's just such a fucking cool line. And I did some, a little bit of research on what was going on, what the reference of, you know, they were watching the Held Their Breath or Whispers in the CBC News. That's um, right. About a guy named David, David Milgard, who was served like 21 years for a crime he didn't commit you or got something. It. it was like, you know, there's a lot of that in the U.S. justice system, too. And oh, right. Yeah. It just was such a cool fuck. Like, what an, what an, I don't know if the guy's still alive. I don't know if no. you heard the song no. when yeah. it came out, but what a fucking. Yeah. I, I mean, coincidence, I think, is the word you're looking for. So this record comes out in 92. And in 91, Milgard and his people are granted the ability for a, um, uh, a clearing of his name. Yeah. And it was 20 years that he was in prison for a rape that a rape and murder that had occurred in 1969. So basically the guy is born in 51 his almost his entire life is around this this uh tragedy right and and gord took you know a simple acoustic guitar line and turned it into an epic story of the beginning of the exoneration of david milgard so i i hear <laughs> the reasons why and i understand i get it I guess there's just for me. Okay. I guess for me, experiencing an album and thinking it as like a book, and you're going through the chapters, and you know some some chapters you're like, oh man, I love where the character development is going, and then all of a sudden you experience this this downfall, this this unfortunate event, you know, and it's it's the wild ride, and I'm trying to. I honestly thought, okay. Honestly, thought Pete probably loves this song, Fiddler Screen, etc. Everything you said, you know, why? Why is it that this is triggering for me personally in the cadence of an album to hear something like this and be like, "Come on, you guys, let's just get to more good jam and stuff." I don't know. Maybe it's the time of year. Maybe it's winter. Maybe it's the holidays, which I like have a love hate for. Um, this is just this is just one of those tracks that I was waiting for. In the album, it's like, okay, here we go. Who's this song about? Oh, this fucking guy in jail. What did he not do? What did he not do to go to jail? God damn it. Fucking injustices in the world. All these <laughs> things. It's like fucking another fucking ballad about God damn it. You know, just, it's just like this emotional roller coaster. It's like, okay, what else we got? What, where, what are we moving into next? You know, that's in, in the hip albums to get to this type of song. I'm always like... Okay, there's only a couple left. Where are these guys going to take me? And where do they take you next? Wherewithal. So wherewithal, you know, you're jumping straight into some jammy chords. The singing's pretty calm, I thought, for kind of the guitar progression. The, the bass line 
really hit me as like 80s metal rat motley crew maybe gnr this song tim i wrote the same fucking fuck this song jd the producer what what you said his name Christianius. I can yeah, never say man. his name right. It's a Greek last name. He, I can never he say peed it. all over this one. I, I guarantee <laughs> it. I guarantee it. You know, so it, it's, I thought, you know, there is some single, maybe some single potential here, but wasn't really sure. It's fucking short. Um, I read up on it a little bit with the Richard Dawson controversy and references towards Nixon and, those kinds of things but the song overall and the band was like fine you can have it we're making it less than three minutes long (laughs) so yeah interesting interesting track yeah i said the same i mean i had the same uh feeling about it It, the probably the thing that i that stood out most because the guitar was just so prominent it's easy to say the guitar was awesome and heavy and all that but i really like the drums really dug the drums in this mm-hmm. song. I thought the drums drove it. Um, I was interested in the Nixon reference because I didn't really know what the song was about. I did a little bit of digging and Tim, I don't know your, um, your thoughts around Nixon. It's crazy because my dad liked Nixon. Like he was very sad when Nixon died. Um, and I know a lot of people who hated him. And then I, you know, when I grew up and kind of learned about who he was, I was like, Oof, not really that great of a guy, especially when all the tapes yeah, came out and everything. Years, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's funny too, because if it is about Nixon, I'm like, where does, where do, how do Canadians, it's like, you know, what do I think about a former Canadian prime minister? I don't think I can name a former Canadian prime minister before Trudeau. If you had a gun to my head, JD, I'm sorry. That's all right. You know? No, we're, we're, we're used to it up here. <laughs> On the roof. On the roof. Yeah, man. It's, uh, but I am getting a little concerned about all the guns to the head references. That's like your fourth in terms of the podcast. Just, uh, just, you know, checking you out. Just making sure everything is all groovy over here. Um, you know? Yeah. So that's that's what I got. Okay, so that brings us to the last song on the record, and that is El Dorado. Who could blame him? Who could blame him? 
to drive a when I was 19 I had a 77 El Camino and I would always sing El Camino instead of El Dorado um, oh that's amazing yeah it, it I want to see a picture of that car oh, what color was it, it was tan nice yeah I wish you still had it oh I do too I do too wow my you know what I was always because my buddy had a Ford Ranchero which was the Ford version of the El Camino yeah, yeah. Yep. and he had a champagne colored Ford that he sold to some guy in Denmark. Um, it was a 76 or 74. 
and he sold it and I'll never forgive him for it because it was the coolest fucking car and it just smelled like gasoline and it was loud and it would it handled like a fucking tank and it was just oh yeah mine didn't have power steering oh no none of that dude my uncle chris had a light blue ranchero seven i don't know early 70s and it was so large for two doors and seating maybe for two and a half people it was the biggest vehicle when i was 16 he had me drive it from his house to my folks house and I remember scared to death that I was just going to hit a parked car because I felt like I was driving a car that was two cars wide. It was so gigantic. But Jeez. fast forward, I guess, maybe. Uh, my grandparents owned Eldorados. They had two specifically, I remember. A black four-door and a white two-door. They had like a coupe, eight early 80s Eldorado. And those were, I mean... They were like Rolls Royces to us. As kids, we thought they were, we were riding around in limos, you know? These were like the nicest cars. So I totally get the car reference a hundred percent. The, the, the two door one that my grandparents had, I was in the back seat trying to get to the front seat, dropping my grandmother off somewhere and she closed the door on my leg and I thought I'd never walk again. I mean, oh these cars God. were just behemoth. <laughs> I was like, I was like seven, maybe seven years old. Um, but the references here just to get into the song and less about cars, you know, but world war one in Canada, basically coming over to serve the motherland and fight Germany. It's just, that's all just so heavy. You know, the, the, the line Berlin makes me sex making me sexy mm-hmm. that one tripped me up a little bit um you know I was like okay are they are they implying this kind of glorification of war you know are we are we now is Canada now I say we as a fellow Canadian are we now in this kind of limelight because we came across the pond to fight um you know and we're we're going through. Berlin, and we're seeing the the separation there, and we're we're hanging out at um where is it where the the, the U.S. had their their base in Berlin. I'll think. Oh of it. gosh, it's um. Uh, I don't know. Were you born in Canada, Tim? No. Oh. Okay. What was it called? No. His thick Canadian accent doesn't. Uh, Tell me about it, guys. <laughs> hey, anyway, now. I'll have to edit that out. Hey, now. Hey, now. <laughs> but anyways, like, the, there's the Berlin making me sexy part just makes me think, like, maybe Berlin was the shiny object kind of around that time. And it's it's this beautiful song. There's this amazing bass. There's these big fat toms going on with the drums, you know, that I imagine that was just at their recording room to kind of reel those in. I thought it was a a good closer for the album. Yeah, I do too. Pete, where are you with this one? I, well, definitely we need to continue our conversation in a latter date about Eldorados and Rancheros, but um, I dug it. I really liked it. Probably my favorite part about it was the um the second verse uh there's some like really cool like surf guitar licks in there and the lyrics are really syncopated the where when he when he's i can't remember the i can't quote the lyrics specifically but the, the syncopated lyrics are really cool again 
goes back to him being, I'm sure it'll just get better, like a fine wine. Out what a great phrasing lyricist he is and singer. But I didn't, I was a little confused about the Berlin makes me sexy to Tim. And I, I, I dug in some like forums and I just thought the funniest thing was, and by the way, I know we apologize to the listeners and I won't do that anymore, but I, I really want to apologize to the, the band. Cause I, I love this <laughs> band. Like I love this band and I hope that if anybody ever hears even a fucking sentence of this podcast from that band, that I have the utmost fucking respect and admiration for them because they're fucking cool. But that being said, somebody said, um, uh, this song was written under the influence of Labatt Blue and Jack Daniels. And I just was fucking rolling in my chair. Uh, Hilarious, but cool. Good, good tune to end the record. Yeah, for sure. I got the the Berlin, sorry, JD, the Berlin reference. Yeah, so the Berlin reference around Berlin making me sexy, maybe that had to do with like Checkpoint Charlie, right? That's, I I don't know. I I was was not really. Wasn't Charlie Vietnam? No, no. Charlie in Vietnam referred to what the Americans called their enemy. On the Vietnamese side, they called them Charlie. No, it's a crossing point. It's the crossing point the between point, east Charlie. and west. Yeah, it's it's the crossing point between east and west Berlin. Shows my World War II. And, and it, it still exists. Knowledge. It still exists. My my. Hey Pete, your World War Two knowledge isn't isn't that bad. You just don't pay attention to sequels. I don't watch. You, don't, that. you read about World War One and you're like, yeah, man, yeah. I don't need to read <laughs> the sequel. Seriously, and everybody's paying attention to the possibility of World War Three right now, and I'm just like, Ugh. guys, I don't care. This is stupid. It's all about WW One. <laughs> Anything they make after that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It's all. It's all. It's all computers now. <laughs> oh, you haven't seen a war until you've seen a horse pull a wagon in beautiful black and white, double speed. This anyway. this podcast took a really dark turn. Yeah. I love it. So I have a question for you. This 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 is their third full length record, but this one came out like a, like less than a year after Road Apples. Road Apples was 91, and this is 92. Which was unusual for them, right? To, it's unusual to, for any band like yeah. at this point. But like yeah. certainly, if you were going to do that, you would think you'd do it on your first and second record, not not your second and third. You know, that's uh, it, it's just interesting to me that they were able to come up with 12 like, like pretty great fucking songs and, and put them to wax, you know, so short a time after... Uh, road apples. I, I just so wonder. Why the if, hustle? I don't know. I was don't it, know. Was uh, it was it a kind of a I hate to say it, but like a cash grab to get them to next size venues on tour? Because man, traveling across that country to only hit like two hundred to a thousand or twelve hundred fans, and then to go to like three thousand to up to five thousand fans per show—that's. They were that's a, doing that's a hurry go. What were they doing back then? They played Maple Leaf Gardens on this tour, and then and then they opened the Air Canada Center on this tour, which is the where the Leafs play and the Raptors play. 
And then they started a summer festival. They did a summer festival across Canada and uh, maybe a couple cities in the States called Another Roadside Attraction. And that's where I first got to see them on my 19th birthday, uh, July 24th, 1993. In Markham Fairgrounds, uh, I I I got to see them live for the first time, and it was almost like out of a storybook because I got so incredibly drunk and high, and I passed out during the band that went on before them, and slept slept basically the whole time on the ground, and then woke up magically when the when the hip went on, and I was fine. Oh, we'd and love was, to to go so back great. to that moment, the three of us with JD yeah. right right now. Oh, that would be, be fun, so man. fun, JD. I mean, come on, bro, it's time. Wake up. Yeah. I, I don't know if you, I don't know if you asked your question, JD, but I was going to comment on what you said, because um, I feel kind of the same thing. I don't know if it was a cash cash grab either, Tim, but I feel like this was the push where the record label finally said. Look, you fuckers, we've we've put a lot of money into you. Um, you're going to make a hit. And they brought in this big swinging dick of a producer. And um, we're going to fall through the roof, so to speak. And being as that never really happened, maybe that's where, you know, we lead into their fifth record, which will be next week, um, to to kind of start exploring their own you know, being more themselves instead of living for, uh, you know, what they what they think they should be commercially. I don't know. Yeah, that's I my think thoughts. so. Maybe, maybe. I mean, this was a t- an era where bands were not getting paid enough, but making a living off of selling albums, selling CDs. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're we're years away from MP3.com kicking. Yeah, that's right. You know, and so anyone, anyone in the biz back then who saw this band doing well and saw fans at shows across Canada going bonkers and knowing that people were doing the tour or doing all the West Coast shows or doing all the East Coast shows, you know, like any, any band manager would have been like, let's knock out another album. I know this one's going to kick ass let's get totally. this metal producer in to you know organize everything and let's keep keep it all going and i guess this is the album that made them realize they could do it on their own which is fucking amazing because a lot of bands in the 90s would not even step out into no that. way yeah we're Great. gonna find uh, a market shift in the sound and tonality of of this band starting with the next record day for night if you've got anything you want to say to wrap up this record i just wish i had my grandparents eldorado out front with some hip on the eight track did they ever make eight track tapes oh man wouldn't that be cool i'll just i'll just fantasize about that with with jd pass out in the back and p all hyper in the front seat that's 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 my that's where I'm gonna leave it. Same here, man. Same here. I wish we wish we had a wish we were driving around in the champagne colored Ford Ranchero with a with a 24 pack of Labatt Blue on the on the floorboard. Listen Love to and the smell record. of fuel. Yeah. All right. As we do every episode of the show, we are asking each of you fellas. 
to choose your MVP track for the record fully completely. Uh, Tim, let's start with you. You son of a gun. Yeah, so my favorite song off this album was uh, definitely El Dorado. Uh, you know, I went back and listened to it a little bit more, and there's even some there's some Michael Stipe feels in there, just lyrically. I can't wait, man. Just with with the way Gord sings, you know, there's so there's so much from the '90s going on on these albums. It actually makes me miss the '90s. I often think of the '80s as being just so spectacular, but the the '90s were for music it was so good too and this this is just one of those songs that made me also want to listen to just a bunch of other stuff so i'm going with eldorado cool boop to doop <laughs> what do you uh what's going to be your playlist song there pete um the hundredth meridian hands down the phrasing in it the historical content of it how I'm aware that that line, physical line, not lyrical line, um, the importance of that and how it will eventually play into other hip references in the future too. It's just, it's fucking cool, man. That's going on the list for sure. Awesome. I can't wait to hear these lists as they, as they grow in stature. All right. That's what I have for you this week. So there's that. Hope you enjoyed yourself as much as I did. See you next week, fellas. Pick up your shit. Thanks for listening to Getting Hip to the Hip. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review the show at gettinghiptothehip.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at gettinghippod. And join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash fully and completely. Questions or concerns? Email us at jd at gettinghiptothehip.com. We'd love to hear from you. and such. Hey, it's JD here, and I'm with Pete and Tim, and we have a really big announcement we want to make. Are you strapped in? Good. Mark your calendars for Friday, September 1st, as Long Slice Brewery brings to you Getting Hip to the Hip, an evening for the Downey Wayne Jack Fund. Join us at the Rec Room in Toronto for a night of music, unity, and making a meaningful impact. This event is dedicated to honoring the legacy of the Tragically Hip while supporting the Downey Wenjack Fund. Immerse yourself in a powerful tribute performance by 50 Mission, celebrating timeless classics that have shaped Canadian rock history. We'll also wrap up the podcast in a memorable way by doing our finale live that evening. But it doesn't stop there. This event is all about making a difference. So we've got a silent auction with prizes you've got to see. From Blue Jays tickets, to Tragically Hip Ephemera, to kitchen appliances. If you're looking for something cool, chances are you'll find it at our silent auction. All proceeds for the evening will go directly to the Downey Winjack Fund, supporting healing, reconciliation, and positive changes for Indigenous communities. 
Tickets are on sale June 1st and can be picked up by visiting gettinghiptothehip.com and clicking on Finale. By attending Getting Hip to the Hip, you're not only enjoying a night of incredible music and comedy, but also contributing to a brighter future. Join a community of like-minded individuals who believe in the power of music and unity. Tickets are only $40, so mark your calendars and visit our webpage to secure your spot at this unforgettable event to celebrate the hip with fellow hip fans. Getting Hip to the Hip, an evening for the Downey Winjuk Fund, promises to be an experience that leaves a lasting impact. Please join us at the Rec Room in Toronto on September 1st and be part of something truly meaningful. We'd love to see you there. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.